Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. Have you jumped into? Have you jumped ahead in time? If you haven't, I don't care. It's time to jump into the rotation. It's weird that you're so far away from me. No. It's so good to be here. It's a, it's a beautiful <laughs> Sunday, isn't it? it? It is nice. So to our normal viewers, uh, we uh, we the screen may look a little different to you today. Uh, <laughs> normally, Gary is sitting right next to me. And uh, because of, I'm just going to call you right out at the top of the show. Because of daylight savings time and because of yep. marijuana, Gary forgot about daylight savings time, and is now it is now at home doing the show from over there. So I miss you, Gary. I, I, I it feels weird and lonely over here. And I can't blame an Indica, can I? <laughs> it's that damn time change. Thank you, Ben. Damn Franklin. <laughs> you goddamn. Daylight savings time. You didn't save me. So, so since I since I got the microphone hookup over here, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, do do some introductions here. Uh, first off, Kano is with us. Kano is just not on the screen yet. He's taking care. Of, hey, Kano, there you are. Hey, hey what's up, buddy? Um, so, so Kano, you're in Washington D.C. and you got all the news from up there and all that. But before we get into that, let's talk about our special guest. Debbie Goldsberry. Now, one thing that's pretty cool about this this young lady over here, right, is I like to point out, and as I was like showing off to her before before the show started, that you know, after I graduated from business school, I went out to California and I did my whole thing out there and I checked out all the cool places that started everything and and and, and uh, you know promoted everything in this cannabis industry that that paved the way for a lot of the stuff that's going on now and turns out debbie here was uh pretty much in involved in everything that i did i mean i i went to Oaksterdam university I, I shopped at magnolia uh, uh, a dispensary in downtown Oakland. I would, I've been to downtown Berkeley Patients or downtown uh, to Berkeley's Patients Group. I, I, I've been to, to I, and you've actually you've been involved with Normal for quite some time. So why don't you take a minute to let everybody know exactly what you've done and you know what's going on here? Got it. Okay. Well, I've been involved in the <laughs> just one minute. Okay, I've been. <clears throat> Involved in the cannabis issue since 1986. I started my first dispensary in 1999, Berkeley Patients Group. And uh, ever since then, I've been doing retail cannabis and helping other people start their cannabis businesses too. So, um, yeah, I've been in the thick of things. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> so, Gary. This is not possible to, to cram it all into one minute. Considering all yeah, that, that was good. I, I, I am not used to being the guy with uh, the the main microphone here. So Gary, <laughs> you got any questions? I'm not Gary? used to being up this early. I think if anyone's getting brutalized by daylight savings time, it's me. You know, I agreed to do this without noticing the daylight savings time when I was going to wake up this morning. So yes, I'm in Oakland. So it's seven seven thirty. You guys had me on here. That's six thirty my time, mind you. So yeah. One one minute is probably a good uh, time frame for my mind to be able to wrap its mind around. So yes, everything will be a one minute answer for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. We're gonna have a, a short show today. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so yeah, so, uh, uh, Debbie, so, so what was that? So you, you started Berkeley Patients Group and Berkeley's Patients Group is like, just like an incredible dispensary out there in the West coast. Um, uh, it, it really paved the, uh, really it was like one of the first ones in Berkeley, right? Um, second one in Berkeley, what are the, oh man, it was so crazy back there. We started Berkeley Patients Group in 1999. And just wow. let me say, I started it with a, a guy um, named Jim McClelland and Jim had AIDS and this was kind of the height of uh, the AIDS crisis. And, mm. um, and it was Jim's last year of life. It, it really was. And we started Berkeley Patients Group. Um, he lived a year and during that year we did everything we'd ever want to do. What would you want to do in the last year of your life? You know, you're not going to sit at home. You're not going to be sad. You're not going to be sitting around crying. You're going to try and figure out what the heck you're going to do to bring every bit of life out of that last year of life. So that's what we did at Berkeley Patients Group. We had a great time and we had really good cannabis the whole way through. So good times, good cannabis, good people. Uh, that was that was what we were all about. So uh, when I when I told you that I went out to the West Coast, I went out in like like 2008, like way before you, way after you did all this, all the, the amazing stuff that you did, right? Um, and uh, like I was going through graduate school, right? Like like basically being told that I was stupid for wanting to get into the cannabis industry. Um, a lot of times, like people would tell me, "Is like, dude, like, why would you want to do that?" It's almost like a rite of passage on like in in like the mid and late 90s. Right. If you're you're in the cannabis industry, you, I, I I really did hear that it's like a rite of passage to go to jail for a little bit, or to get raided, or to you know, to to be influenced by the police. And um, there's a lot of people in the industry now that I don't think would have would be in it if they had to deal with some of the things you you had to deal with. Um, can you tell me what it was like, uh, opening Berkeley's patients group? Did you have any influence, like any, any drawback from the police or anything like that? Were there any raids that you were, you had to uh, go through anything like that? Uh, brutal. This is brutal. brutal. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all of it, all of it. We, we actually started Berkeley patients group when my first place got raided by the police. I got busted for felony, um, because, uh, in the city of Berkeley, in 1979, voters legalized adult cannabis use. They did a voter initiative, made it legal. Mm -hmm. But the police had never, you know, in the city, never voter initiative, you have to also make sure that the government implements the law and changes the rules and the thing goes in place. So the people that passed it never managed to get the law implemented. So when, when we showed up in Berkeley um, in the end of the 90s or mid 90s, we decided to implement the law. So my first dispensary was an adult use dispensary. And we called ourselves the Berkeley wow. Cannabis Consumers Union. <laughs> yes, yeah, we had the uh, the Be Cool pro um, project, the uh, Berkeley Cannabis Ordinance Oversight League, Be Cool, and we had our adult dispensary. So we only opened once a week because we were really trying to make a point. Everyone else was opening dispensaries. We wanted to serve the adult community at the same time. So, yeah, I got busted for a felony. I mean, we pretty much knew that was coming. It wasn't a secret um, because you just can't do that, even in Berkeley where pot's legal. But we did sue the police um, for false arrest, and we won that case. And uh, You did win that case. <laughs> yeah, we won the case. And then we sued the city for false arrest. And um, and then uh, they gave us a, a settlement, a lawsuit settlement. And uh, with mine, I bought a ticket to Amsterdam in a VW bus. So that was kind of not, not the worst. And then we started Berkeley Patients Group. But in the medical marijuana movement, the feds were so mad, so mad. They used to bust everybody. Like every Wednesday, they had some kind of calendar. Wednesday at 6 a.m., that's the day we're going to bust somebody. So we would be so just couldn't sleep, believe me. Every every night, you didn't know if it was the night you were going to get busted by the feds. Um, definitely had the DEA show up at my door, got subpoenaed. They wanted me to testify against one of my, at the time, buddies who was in federal court. And I just refused. You're not going to catch me being a snitch. So the feds had me. Um, <clears throat> they put me on trial for a, a civil, uh, what's it called? You know, when you refuse to testify, they put you on trial. They they had us on criminal and civil charges. So had to fight that, go into Judge Breyer's federal court and give a speech about how foul the war on drugs was and what the heck were they doing arresting us for this kind of thing when there was so much more going on. And we had voted to legalize it in California. So what were you feds doing here? You're completely illegitimate. And, um, and the judge just let us go. He let us go. So I, I had a number of narrow escapes. Uh, and a whole lot of stress, that is for darn sure. Um, 
as far as raids, how they came after us was they came after us in civil court instead of in criminal court because they eventually realized they weren't going to get weren't going to be able to prosecute us through the the criminal courts because the jury of our peers was never going to find us guilty. They kept losing cases, so they decided to go after people in civil court doing asset forfeitures. So yeah, the mm -hmm. Fed snuck in in the middle of the night one night and took uh, about a hundred thousand dollars out of our bank account. It was our uh, sales tax money that we've been saving. And then I woke up in the morning, they had put a negative $999,999,999 in my bank. I had a negative billion dollars in my bank account. Oh, oh, oh my God. Um, because they want to make sure that if any penny drops in, it's theirs right away. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, I see somebody's talking about jury nullification. We definitely did jury nullification in that case that I was talking about at the Fed when the feds came and snagged me to testify against my friend. Um, we had a big uh, jury nullification campaign, not centered around my friend's trial, just everywhere. We went to every federal court we could get our hands what, on. What is jury nullification? What is that? Jury nullification, um, the law allows the juries to vote, to declare somebody innocent if it's the law itself that is a crime. So if, if the law is criminal, you can you can decide the case based on the merits of the law and not the merits of the case. So mm. it's a, a confusing topic and to educate jurors, it's really complicated and you can never target one case because uh, my buddy, Jeff Jones from Oaksterdam, if you ever met Jeff over there, he made that mistake. Yeah, he made that mistake in one of our early federal cases. Um, went and tried buddy's court trial and he himself got arrested because you can't do that. We we did a giant national uh, tar targeted federal courts all over the U.S. with information about jury nullification, letting people know that they were sending people to jail and putting them on trial for cannabis and and explaining to them about jury nullification. So, yeah, that that is a really good uh, it's a really good technique too. But I, it's, I, it's, re I really don't know how to. Uh, articulate this question properly so i'm just going to go out <laughs> go ahead and ask it you're hurting you, me you're already hurting you me Carlos. Get, how do you how do you get balls that big like how do you like <laughs> like how are you that brave like one one thing that one thing i want to point out is that uh the the you know we we were we were thinking in like one like our rotation host group chat that we need to have more women on the show. And and I, I believe that that's part of the reason why you're here. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, you're braver than most of the men I know. You really are. So, so okay. I mean, you, like, the idea of going through all these raids and, and waking up the next morning and just being like, okay, time to go to work, you know? Like, <laughs> how, how do you do that? How do you do that? Like, what is it? What is this passion inside of you? It's, it's like this. I, the first time I, tr I tried marijuana, I knew the government was lying. They're absolutely lying about marijuana. I tried it back in 1986 and they were saying like, it fries your brain. I tried it. I was like, I've never felt so good. These guys are lying. When the government lies to you so seriously. I mean, I was a student of political science at this fancy university in Illinois, um, uh, U of I. They were teaching us about logic and, you know, a rule of law. And then here we have the government lying. And shortly after that, I, I attended a pot rally on campus and the cops just beat people bloody. I couldn't believe it. So I got very involved on the social justice issue because I knew that you <clears throat> can't let the government run wild like that. If they're running wild on the, like that on this, they're running wild like this on the everything. So we have to put stops in place. So I got really brave around this issue. But here's the other thing, um, <clears throat> two things, cannabis. <laughs> I love that stuff, man. It made me so brave. So it cannabis, <laughs> help, you know, it makes you brave. Um, and the other thing is uh, privilege because I could, because I'm a white American woman and I can do more and say more and get away with more than most people can. And so I tried to deploy my privilege at every point to push the boundaries as far as I could and to bring as many people along as I could behind me. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, brave, bravery, uh, political need, because the government's out of control, and some good weed, constant supply of good weed. That's the, that's the, uh, that's so the you, you said that you opened uh, Berkeley Patient Group in 99? 
Was that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, so so I'm familiar with uh like the first the 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 cannabis buyers club. Uh, it opened in '92. Like, are you familiar with like Dennis Perone and all those people out there? Like, of course, because he's just across the bay from where we were. We're all so yeah. inspired by Dennis and and. Uh, and the feds took him down, the state took him down, the city took him down. He got busted by every, every, you know, everybody that could bust him busted the guy, you know, they yeah. really broke him down. Um, yeah, I went to his five-story cannabis club when it was the only cannabis dispensary that there was. It was so great and it was so peaceful and just loving and it was in the height of the AIDS crisis, right? There were all these people who were really sick and dying and they needed a place to come and get together and they wanted cannabis because it made them feel better. And the environment was just fun. You know, Dennis's place had five stories, like a, you know, a low grade marijuana floor, you know, if you wanted your mids and your low grade and a top shelf floor and a hangout floor and administrative floor, it was, it was incredible. So when we opened Berkeley Patient Group, it was on the model that Dennis had, had showed us. So about compassion and, and giving back and having fun and being together to smoke weed. And, um, and yeah, so Dennis has passed away by now, unfortunately. Um, and they did break him down so bad that he did not reopen his dispensary after, after so many arrests, there was just no way for him to do it. So, yeah. Um, so, so I, I'm hogging all the questions right now. Um, but, but I just want to, I just want to do one. I just want to do one more question and I'll let you guys ask all the questions. Right. So, uh, you, you told me, you, you mentioned before that your, uh, business partner in opening uh Berkeley patient group was, uh, had, uh, AIDS. Right. Um, yeah. and I know that a big part of like the whole dispensary culture, right. Comes from like the, those AIDS patients groups. Right. Can you kind of like speak on like that transition? Like how, how, uh, you know, like, uh, how did that really work? Like what, like, you know what I mean? Like how, how did that really like come to be? Like how, like what, what was it where, where the, what was the frustration in like trying to treat this, this condition that sprouted this whole dispensary? Um, to, am I making sense? <laughs> yeah. Well, Dennis himself used to always say this, all marijuana use is medical. And if you really look at it, it really is, you know, I could say the same thing kind of about my dog. Cause I'm studying uh, multi-species families, you know, and how dogs actually are almost like a human in a family. Same with marijuana, marijuana. Uh, you can universally say that marijuana, all marijuana is uh, medicine because if we're using it, even if we're using it to go out and have fun, when we're going out and having fun, we're reducing stress, we're lowering our blood pressure, we're having all kinds of benefits that are just, you know, we don't even notice that we're having half the time. But yeah, so so that was Dennis's starting philosophy. I mean, when you're in battle, you take the you take the sick and dying off the battlefield. So that was the point of medical marijuana, right? Let's get them off the battlefield. Let's change the laws. Let's make sure these are the most critical people to get cannabis. Let's do that. And then the next most critical, let's get people out of jail because obviously people of color are getting targeted by the war on drugs in such a drastic and horrific manner. So, you know, we had a triage prohibition, what comes first, what comes second. Unfortunately, oh man, you guys, I didn't know it was going to come third. Uh, cap capitalism, un un untethered capitalism. And people from big business got into the movement. I did not foresee that. I'm a hippie. I like dancing. I like mushrooms. You know, I like to listen <laughs> to music. And and I mean, look, I'm wearing a giant bud on my shirt. Um, I did, and, and by the way, I consider this to be business professional in the cannabis industry. But some people might disagree because big business from outside industry has come in just like they do in every other industry and they have kicked us to the curb and it is just so bad and so offensive and so opposite from the enlightened society that i thought we would have after we legalized cannabis so where we How are can, what, i yeah. i i really like like actually like i was dying to ask you a question about this to be honest with you and i, I like that you like transitioned into it because um uh it, it really like for somebody that that like started one of the first like main dispensaries out west right to see the business where it is now right and and obviously uh, you're 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 not happy with where things are now 
um but what where do you think like like where where can we go like how can we take it back to like you, you really talk about these old times of like this there's like this freedom in your voice you know what i mean like how can we go back to that Oh man, you're gonna stump me on this one. I, I. No, no, I, I want to. I kind of. I, I want to say this. I, I went back to college recently. I, I back in the '80s, I left college to start my first cannabis company. Uh, it was a nonprofit. We worked really hard to legalize it, Cannabis Action Network, and I think there's still a chapter in Florida, Florida Cannabis Action Network. Um, so I recently went back to. I recently went back to college. And in college, one of my professors I'm studying human development has us reading Marx. So I'm reading socialism right now. And you know, this is predicted. This was predicted so long ago. Abraham Lincoln has a famous quote that if we don't stop this untethered capitalism, because I'm summarizing my own feelings, at the soul of humanity is greed. If we don't put in fixes to make this stop, then all of society is gonna be just gobbled up by capitalists and by people who want to own everything. They want to own our water. They want to own our air. They want to own every single thing. They would own my body if they could own my body. And, and they are trying. So how do we stop? Holy crap. How do we stop this horrible mo monopolistic capitalist society that we have put in place because of the human nature of the greed of mankind? Let's do a different podcast on that because that's too big. I don't know how to answer that. I, yeah. I, it, 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 the problem is, is that it's the regulations that have created created this, the high taxes. And as you know, who is creating the regulations? The politicians that are basically funded by these big business capitalists that are taking over the cannabis industry. So right now, different governments are starting to put the fix in because here we are about five years into this grand legalization experiment. And we see that corporate cannabis is just gobbling up every small business person because we can't handle it on our own. We can't afford it. Uh, governments are starting to put fixes in place around equity licensing. So if you've been affected by the war on drugs, if you've been arrested for cannabis, if you're a person of color, if you're in a neighborhood that's been impacted, they're starting to put um, fixes in for licenses that um, go to equity people. And some of those licenses stay with equity people. You can't transfer them to big business three years down the road because that doesn't really help us, right? But but um, yeah, so that's where we're at. We got to, guys got any good ideas how to crush capitalism? I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I, don't, I mean, what about the idea of just like unregulating everything? Like I, I'm, I'm going to a libertarian point of view here, but like the problem is, is that I like, the super high taxes, the super high licenses, the super high fees, like they're, they're making us pay and that that's, what's keeping us out. Um, you know, I'm sitting here in my one room head shop, you know, uh, and I wish it was a dispensary, you know what I mean? But I can't have that here. You know, I can't have that in Florida. So uh, what, what about just unregulating everything? Like, what about just like, like letting people just have it? I, I love that idea. I think that you're right, that one of the fixes has to be lowering the taxes because that's what's made operating um, impossible. Uh, here, I think the taxation is about 36% of the cannabis that you buy on the counter is taxes, Jeez. which is really crazy. Probably more in Florida with that weird medical marijuana scheme they have. Um, but the problem again is that we've got big business in there lobbying for these um, controls that only yeah. they can managed. So um, we have to, as an industry, just like we fought back prohibition. Now, as it turns out, cannabis might be the solution because we have to fight the bigger issue with just this untethered, uncaring uh, greed of money and ownership. So yeah. the cannabis industry going so bad provides us with a really good example of capitalism going bad. And it's new enough into it. Maybe we can find the fixes. If we can fix cannabis, maybe we can fix everything else. Who knows? So yeah, we just gotta we gotta see what happens. But as, I'm as long as dying. people are like you know, Anheuser Busch and Wrigley's are trying to get into the industry, you know, guys like me are screwed. I guess that's what. Oh it yeah. Is. yeah. Somebody was telling me that Heinz ketchup wants into the industry. Everyone's just waiting for federal legalization. So if we thought it was bad now, imagine when federal legalization hits. It's going to be really difficult for the small farmer. Maybe we have to do things like Florida orange juice, right? Start a consortium of small cultivators. Like like for me as one retail shop, for example, if I'm a mom and pop shop, I've got one store, 
but everybody else is big multi-state operators. They got multiple stores, so they can purchase wholesale from one location and supply all their shops. They're getting a lower cost of goods sold, right? How am I supposed to compete with that as just a one-shop place? They might pay six bucks for a product that I have to pay $8 from because I'm only buying 10 and they're buying 10,000. We can form group purchasing organizations of small companies and we can purchase through a group purchasing organization where we have centralized purchasing for, uh, you know, 10 small cannabis shops and then we pay six bucks for the goods. But those are things that we have to put together and, and figure out. Well, here in Florida, we don't we don't actually tax our, our medical cannabis. So that that's an interesting twist on things. That just means that they just raise the prices and they keep them up. <laughs> I mean, we, we actually... Yeah. Started this industry with the perfect idea of trying to get people access to the medicine. That was the basic reason. And I did not see the tsunami of corporate can uh, cannabis creeping up behind me. And in that Pandora's box, of course, was truly, if we let that out, and it, it it turned into the monster in the room, so to speak. No offense to the folks over in True but they are kind of like swallowing up everything over here in Florida. And it's going across the room. I, I wish them well, but uh, I wish we had. <laughs> a better free market over here in Florida. At least when you have wholesale in California, you have a chance to have more diversity and have, have more of a free market. We don't have any kind of a free market here. We have 22 licenses of which they take up 99% of all the dispensaries in the first 15. The other ones aren't even dispensing at all. They're still waiting for rec recreational and uh, hopefully we put an end to that this, this week, but we'll see. Yeah, it, it's greedier than you may think here in Florida. Like all the high prices are just going directly to the cannabis, the corporate cannabis company. They probably have high licensing fees, the annual licensing fee and the cost of getting their license, if I remember, was pretty darn high. So yeah, they're passing on those costs too. So. Yeah. Is there no excise tax over there? They, they don't pay excise tax, Gary? No, but we do have a uh, $165,000 uh, application fee, which is, uh, what, what, is what, the, what is going on right now. And they're actually offering one equity license. Uh, and it's only to the people who are in part in the, uh, the Pigford group, which is at the Black Agricultural Society uh, against the United States that gave them uh, funds. Everybody in that group, which is from the 1990s or in their 80s right now, but those are the ones who are qualified, and only those folks, to get that one equity license, which, to be honest with you right now, is probably going to get swallowed up by the, the capitalists that are trying to fund them. Because in Florida, you have to have at least $40 million to start because you have to have a vertically integrated business. And so we're, we have folks who are trying to get into that uh, equity position, and they're borrowing money uh, to the rate at, at which if they make miss one payment, the, the equity people are going to go ahead and just swallow them. And then all of a sudden they don't own it anymore. And it's no longer an equity license, but that's what we're dealing with over here. It's the same equity license is really kind of a farce because of those kind of what you're just describing. There's always some secret thing happening in the background where the equity company can't get funded. Somebody own, you know, somebody's given the money and that person can, uh, yeah, can just come in and take the business. So yeah, very difficult. Yeah, and we don't have uh, wholesale and we don't have retailers. So if everybody, if you go into a shop, the only thing that you can buy from there are the, are the is the booth that they, that they grow <laughs> and the, the brands that they've absorbed in some cases. And uh, it's just not creating the best product for us. It's not creating the best prices for us, not creating the best quality for us. And we're, we're, we're dealing with it. I mean, we keep, they keep on pointing to the West. Well, every time we try to do some legalization over here or, or, uh, or legislation, they say, look at the wild, wild West. We can't be that way. We can't be like California. I'll grant you California is not always that, uh, right? Our California regulations, they do... Uh, I have a dispensary right now in Berkeley. It's called High Fidelity, um, and it's co-owned by the guys who uh, founded Amoeba Music, so marijuana and music like this. I've just been doing a compliance uh, check for the, for that place, and we have new regulations in California. Our our California rules are are not that bad. The taxation is the thing that really ruins them, but the regulations are very sophisticated because we're five you know five years in. <laughs> The regulations have been revised and revised and revised with the help of a citizens um, oversight committee. 
and the regulations themselves are pretty good. If we got rid of the taxation, we wouldn't have any problems at all. So I think we can start pointing people to the California regulations as a good regulatory scheme. But the only thing that has broken them down is the high taxation rate. I can say that a good portion of our black market uh, product over here has California stamps on it. Whether they're actually real or not, we don't really know. But it, it always seems to migrate over here somehow. Yeah, that's like a, a stamp of you got good weed. You got that California stamp on it. <laughs> no, why? Because we have a very healthy underground economy still going here because they made such crappy rules and nobody wants to participate. So, or, you know, at least a lot of the people don't and they can't. So they just keep growing cannabis like they always have. We're very comfortable operating in the underground economy. We already have done that for 100 years. So, you know, the laws mm -hmm. can go so far. So yeah, um, California cannabis probably still being exported all over uh, over America. Debbie, I had a, a question. You know, uh, being in the Bay Area um, and, and during the times that you've been active, uh, did you ever run up against the the vice president in her role as a as a district prosecutor? No, I never did. Um, People don't like her here very much in the cannabis industry because for a long time she was uh, uh, anti-legalization and she was arresting people, you know, she was our attorney general, so she was comfortable still continuing to um, arrest people for cannabis. So that was very frustrating. So it's hard for us just to turn on the heels and be like, oh, look, she's a supporter now um, after just all that institutional knowledge about the fact how she was okay to continue to front for the drug war and be, and be the head cop. Of course, she does better than so many other people on that issue in general in the U.S., so can't can't complain too much. But to me, one arrest is too much. But no, I never, I've never been face to face with her or had any kind of uh, done any work with her at all. Uh, I just meant I didn't know if her office, you know, uh, you know, with the legal troubles that y'all had experienced, uh, if it was her office coming after y'all. So that. <laughs> Feds, the, the federal attorney general, the federal attorney general, the Department of Justice came after us. That's where we got in trouble. Um, no, we never had any problems from the uh, from uh, California State ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, feds. Yep. Well, you know, on the federal level, we're still, you know, working to, to you know, see the MORE Act uh, into fruition. Uh, you know, one of the things that we like to see is uh, for Nancy Pelosi to bring it to a floor vote. And, uh, you know, we also would like it to, to hit that threshold of, uh, you know, having 120 uh, co-sponsors. So for those listening, even if you're not in Florida or if you are in Florida, uh, please, you know, uh, click the link. And, uh, and ask your member of Congress to support the MORE Act. Uh, we're trying to get cannabis removed from the Controlled Substances Act. And we know that in April, uh, Senator Schumer plans on introducing his own version of legalization with the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. And, you know, if, I firmly feel as though if we don't get this done before the midterms, uh, it's not going to get done. Because with a split government, we're not going to see anything get done. And I just don't feel confident, uh, judging by the politics here in Florida that we've experienced, that the Republicans uh, have enough support among their caucus to move cannabis forward because of where they get their money from. So many Republicans get their money from the private prison industry and from the other stakeholders who have value in seeing cannabis remaining legal. I could see that those big MSOs right now who are operating are fine with uh, an MSO, I mean, multi-state operators. They're fine with legalization as it stands state by state because it gives them this kind of uh, first mover advantage. So they're going to go in before it's legalized and everyone like we were talking about, right, Pepsi and Heinz and who knows who else is going to be making cannabis stuff. They want to go in and this kind of legalization, not federal, but state legalization and scoop up all those permits. So I, I speculate that their dollars, which are significant, are in there disrupting the flow of uh, the ability to get it done. But part of the thing is, is that um, some of the people in Congress are holding out for perfect legislation as opposed to us. We're just like pass banking and get rid of 280E IRS tax rules so that we can um, deduct our general business um, deductions from our taxes. So I, most people I know in the industry, we're fine with the incrementalism. That's what we need. We need an incremental step. We don't have to fix everything right now in this first round, but can we please fix banking and IRS taxation? I think the feeling is if we do an incremental bill, um, 
we won't do anything else for a long, long time. So I think that's what that's what the holdup is on getting the more act passed. It's incrementalism. Um, it's not the whole shebang. And if we pass it, then we might lose the opportunity for getting even more. I don't care. Pass the dang bill and get us some banking regulations and stop 280E accounting. Because right now, uh, the feds take 21% approximately of every sale. 21% goes to the feds as a income tax. So it is wow, ridiculous. Wow, what the hell? What the hell? Some of the shit you find out just like being in this business, just every day you find out something that's shocking. Well, what I find when we look at states and the different models, it looks like New York, you know, from what I can see, the way they're implementing things has the right model uh, in the sense that, you know, they're not going with vertical integration and they're actually allowing their current hemp licensees to start growing uh, now for the adult use market. And then they're, they're, they're going to allow, um, uh, you know, the, a, a, a group of about 100 social equity applicants who have either they have uh, marijuana charges or a family member has marijuana charges to be able to apply uh, for these adult use licenses. And I, I think that's a, a positive step forward. And those uh, licenses actually go up uh, this week uh, for applications. So it's interesting to see that. Uh, you know, Debbie, what we're seeing in New York, um, you know, versus what you all uh, had roll out in California. Um, you know, I, I always studied California as, as you know, y'all were first, Yeah, you know, it, it blazed the trail. And, and do you see other states actually improving on the shortcomings uh, that the California system has? Or do you see other states following suit and repeating the same mistakes? Everyone's building in those high taxes and excise rates. That's the fatal flaw right there. Right there. That's what brings in the big multi-state operators. That's what requires all that money. Um, and yeah, so so that's I think the crisis that we're having right now. Until states do away with the idea that this needs to have some kind of a sin tax on it, and we have to pay. It, it, this is how they have it set up. It's literally set up so there is no profit at all in the cannabis business. And I mean none. At the end of the day, when you do the math, there is no profit. Every single penny of the profit, and usually more, is being taken by some tax agency or licensing fee. So until that changes, uh, it, mom and pop are going to be bled dry. Equity companies aren't going to be able to get their funding without these strings attached to it that they lose their company, like was mentioned. You make one mistake, you just lost your company or control of your company because sometimes then you're just like, oh, yeah, we're an equity company. Look, that person on the shelf is equity. You've got them literally sitting in the corner like a potted plant doing nothing, um, but we're an equity company. So, uh, so yeah, until we can um, solve the tax problem, we're screwed. And the equity companies actually like the way it is right now because if uh, the MMTCs, as we call them over here, Mar medical marijuana treatment centers or, or dispensaries, uh, don't have access to uh, regular banking, where else do you go? You go, you go to the, the venture capitalists and you go to the, the, the angel capitalists, et cetera, et cetera. And the MSOs are, are getting their financing and they're growing and growing uh, away from the banks. But what we have over here in Florida right now is that we have a licenses that are constantly for sale. <laughs> we are, we are, every one of our, our licenses have, have either grown tremendously or they've been sold at least once or twice. In some cases, uh, we've had one license that's sold three, four times now. And of course, each time it goes up incrementally by, by, by the millions. And uh, it, we find it very difficult just to get our, our, get our bearings going when, Everybody is buying everybody else, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You don't have that problem in California with people buying up. You've dealt with a number of mergers and acquisitions, have you not? It's it's all mergers and acquisitions out here. Every all the dispensaries are are buying and selling right now. Everyone's trying to flip it. Mainly, the small owners are the ones that have had luck getting the permits in the first wave. And now the MSOs come in and buy them up when when we all fall into debt and can't manage it, and it which is, is unfortunate. It, it yeah. is, and, and it's it's all about it's all a matter of uh, that is how corporate cannabis works uh, through, through the mergers and acquisitions and through MSOs getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and some folks are, are trying to absorb other companies. Uh, MedMen, well, they they, they should have gone down in the first place, but uh, they just got bought out <laughs> this last week. Uh, after after Tilray bought their their uh, debt, and uh, and Mike Soroya came in and backstopped them, so they they weren't in any debt anymore. 
Now all of a sudden they're being bought up and, and going away by somebody else. Actually, who's living in Florida and yeah. trying to buy up more licenses. Those guys have 99 lives for some reason. I don't know how. Sorry, I got to look for my dog at the same time here. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just depressed. I need to get into another business. I think I'm going to be like a doctor <laughs> oh, or something. God. I know. I got to stop being a cannabis legalizer and just become an anti-capitalist. So uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking. You guys want to just give up on this normal business and just start another country? <laughs> We're gonna start a micro nation with, with legal start cannabis. A micro nation where we just got marijuana, and oh, like, we all Oregon, love each other. Washington, California. We just take the Oregon, Washington, California, and just kind of move it a little bit away from the. You know, I think it's gonna it's gonna work out, right? This is just a we're walking through fire here. It's gonna work out, but if we don't do our work, um, and and actually look at the equity issue that we're having here then yeah, the big MSOs are going to own cannabis. By the way, I saw this uh, question come up about Wisconsin, like how to get it done in a state that's just barely getting started. Um, it all starts with activism. I, I was a consultant and I do applications. I write business plans and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and I do have a client in Wisconsin there in Milwaukee. So we're trying to figure out how to, yeah, how do we get it done in Wisconsin? And just to answer that question really quick, you know, it starts with grassroots activism. It's usually the uh, one or two cities will pass a regulation like, hey, I really wish the state would get this thing going. Our city passed regulation. Now it's your turn, state. And the regulation will say something like, this can't be implemented until the state law changes. So in California, we had San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, West Hollywood. The cities passed regulations. And that really was part of what, what got the state um, to get on their toes and pass their own regulations, too. So the other thing is, is that you got to make, uh, there's all these interest groups, right? I mean, big business might be our friend at this point. Um, when we're trying to talk to the legislature in a place like Wisconsin, we got to find out who is there and interested in talking to them. Because like, for example, the alcohol distributors might be there talking to the legislature going, we got to legalize this stuff um, and put it through distribution. Um, because if it has to go from a cultivator through a distributor to a retail, uh, big alcohol is all about distribution because a lot of alcohol goes through a distribution choke point. So, you know, somebody makes it, the distributors distribute it, big distributors distribute it. These guys are gigantic corporations. Um, and then it goes to retail. So in California, these alcohol distributors were key and unions, by the way, at the state, at the state house in getting our, uh, adult legalization regulations passed through. So you got to go find out who are the weird bedfellows that you're going to be working with, but also you got to be in there making sure that those big alcohol distributors don't write laws that are very favorable to them. Because for a minute in California, they managed to pass a law saying all cannabis had to go through distributors. There are only going to be six distributors. And those six distributors were going to be <laughs> the preferred alcohol distributors who were going to come in and do cannabis distribution. So we had to uh, crush out that. Now we have something like 1,200 distributors that cannabis goes through. But it's a markup, right? The cultivator makes money, the distributor has to do a markup on it, and then it comes to retail. So that's another thing um, that increases the cost if you have to have three-tier distribution, as opposed to if I could just go to the cultivator, I don't have to pay a distributor 10% to drive my cannabis over to my spot. So there's another way that we can save money. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta get to the state legislature um, by building a, a force behind you, you know, you know? So by the time you show up, they're like, oh no, you're here with a giant force behind you. So we did it city by city here in California. So in a place like Wisconsin, you know, we got to get Madison and Milwaukee, maybe a couple of small cities passing regulations first, and maybe the state will get their act together. Now, uh, you have a lot of different uh, counties in the, state, in the state of California that, that have shut down as far as cannabis is concerned. I've been talking about distributors who have to actually have to drive around a county to protect themselves from being arrested just from just, just to transport the product from the, the cultivator to the, uh, to the to the distributors, and that that I find kind of bizarre. But uh, I guess that's just yeah. one of the things that you have to deal with, just so you can have some some horizontal integration. We don't have that here, so there's I guess there's pluses and minuses. Well, Gary, I think one of the things we should do public policy wise is push for um, not allowing counties and municipalities that ban cannabis from benefiting from the tax revenues from cannabis 
If you don't want it, then you don't. You also shouldn't get the money that that's derived from those sales and from those taxes. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I that's what that they is. did out here. Yeah, I think the counties that don't participate. By the way, they can't. The only thing that a city, a municipality, so a city or a county can opt out in is retail. They can't opt out of any of. Uh, well, I guess they could opt out of having cultivation. They can't opt out of sales happening in their in their city. Re um, you're allowed to pass through, and you're allowed to do home delivery everywhere in California. So the dry cities cannot block home de home sale home delivery sales. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, the, the, the American people are on your side, Debbie, in regards to, you know, a poll recently came out, nearly 70% of Americans want Congress to allow licensed cannabis businesses to have access to banking services. And, uh, you know, we're the, the, the you know, the safe act is, has been part of the uh, slid in there by the house as part of the American competes act. And, you know, it, it's advanced to the Senate. And so I'm just interested to see, you know, Gary, has there been any word yet? I didn't see anything this week on the Senate pulling it out. Have you heard anything? No, not at all. And so I, let, still let yeah. Well, it, you know, uh, and then, you know, uh, when we, we're talking about taxes, uh, this week, New Mexico, their Supreme Court actually ruled against the imposition of certain excise taxes on medical cannabis products. And and I, I think that, uh, you know, that's that's definitely a positive step forward. Uh, we should people shouldn't pay taxes on their medicine. It's like we don't pay taxes on groceries. And, and especially when people are on fixed incomes, uh, you know, people are, are, are disabled, you know, they're sick patients, uh, fleecing them for an extra six or nine percent at the register just just doesn't work. I have a couple of New Mexico projects uh, to um, my clients. there are trying to get vape, uh, cannabis consumption lounges, which is built into their regulation. But cities can opt in and out of having just having those lounges in their cities. So we're trying to convince one city to do it and we're writing protocols for um for the other client but um oh what was i going to say about new mexico you guys this is because i'm in the weed part of my coffee and weed routine but now that i'm you know on video i can't you know throw her back to get my cannabis portion my brain stopped oh yes, no um <laughs> yeah we have no problem yeah. with it yeah feel free to spark up here on the rotation <laughs> yeah yeah malcolm rolled the joint oh, at the beginning of this conversation and never stopped smoking throughout the entire uh, hour he's with us. <laughs> Um, in New Mexico. Oh God, it just left again. Uh, okay, here it is. They, um, they built into the state regulation to get your state license. You have to write an equity and diversity plan. So every single person that gets licensed in New Mexico, and, and this is pretty regular now in, in a lot of the state regulations, you, ha you have to give back to your community in some way. You have to put together a plan that's measurable in New Mexico. Like they're going to come and check, right? We want to do this, 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 this. And they have a, a system of measures where you're going to have to report on it annually that you're actually doing the stuff that you say you're going to do. So, I mean, that's a step in the right direction, I guess. If we're not the licenses to people, make the licensees give back to the community, force them to give back to the community. I mean, they're, every MSO is going to figure out an end game around everything that they don't want to do. But, you know, for people like us that actually care, we're going to implement those equity plans. We're going to make better communities because of it. Well, one would hope so. I mean, we, we've gone so far away from grassroots efforts. I mean, uh, you were involved in, in the marijuana policy project. And, and one of the things that uh, I am critical of is that they, they've been trying to raise money, not just in the, in the hundreds of dollars and thousands of dollars, but tens of thousands of dollars to go ahead and, and operate. And yet, uh, you have to wonder at what point in time it's still listed as a grassroots effort. Because they're raising a lot more money than, than most of the average free people can't do. And yet we don't see a lot of their effects here in Florida, to be honest with you. Like they've forgotten about us. I think if you look at it at scale, if you if you look at big businessmen who are making bazillions of dollars, I bet they think this is their grassroots thing, right? They're like, look, we're grassroots, we got a cannabis shop. No, you're not. You're a multi-state operator, you know, capitalist uh, trying to crush out our community. But okay, you've got a little weed shop, and you feel better about yourself. So I, uh, honestly, I think the MSOs think this is their this is their give back, and and they are good people, and they are doing good work just by doing this. Now you've been involved in a lot of different efforts, including Americans for Safe Access back in the day, and and Marijuana <laughs> Policy Project. I was a, I was a board member at Marijuana Policy Project for a year, and Normal. I was a California uh, Normal board member also. And the Americans for Safe Access, they, they, they famously sued the federal government uh, long ago to try to get access to it. And one of, the, one of our 
favorite ladies over here in Florida, uh, Kathy Jordan, who you may or may not know, uh, was, was involved in those lawsuits because she was uh, diagnosed with ALS back in 1986. She just turned 71 and is uh, the oldest living ALS co uh, patient as far as we know in the country. And we, we, try to, we try to get her in front of Joe Biden, actually, because she actually did her his first wife's hair back in Delaware back in the day before she was, was diagnosed. What do you think is the chance that we can actually get Joe Biden to move the needle? Because I know that he's not basically on our side in regards to this. Not, not officially, anyway. That's too much about at that you. the other day. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, you cut up, and I couldn't tell if it was me or you that was breaking up on the on the volume. But um, but I got the gist of it. Uh, yeah, I don't think Biden's going to do anything in the face of war and COVID, because I think, and it's reading his mind, this is too much on the frivolous when there's such big important things like war and pandemic going on. So I think that the best we're going to see is incrementalism from him. It's not going to be driven by him. I bet we don't hear him say a, a damn thing this whole a whole entire time. So that, that, that's that's what I think. Yeah. And believe me, I don't think Trump's any better. That guy wouldn't do anything to help us, you know, unless he can make a dollar off of it, which he probably can't. He <laughs> made several promises to look into the situation, didn't he? <laughs> and that went very, very far. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, interest. Go ahead, David. Go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, you know, he's probably turned us over to that coalition of uh, Congress people um, that are trying to move things forward. Um, and I bet there's some behind the, behind the scenes stuff happening with the vice president. But yeah, I don't, I don't think Biden's going to say a, a word. You know, federal uh, legalization, federal movement is so difficult. You know, uh, as you said, between Biden's ignorance uh, of cannabis policy, uh, you know, of, of the congressional realities. But at the state levels, we still see hope uh, in, in other states. I don't, you know, in Florida, one of the most disheartening things was last week, uh, Gary and I were up. It was like midnight and the legislature was, was still hearing bills. And there was a Department of Health Appropriations bill, which was our last Hail Mary attempt to throw out some cannabis reform amendments uh, to that bill. And the, the Florida Republican Party literally shouted it down on the House floor. They didn't even take a roll call vote. They just yelled, no, we, we put up uh, uh, this amendment is about protecting public employees so people don't, uh, you know, get fired for their jobs for being medical marijuana patients. No, this bill is to make sure people don't get kicked off the organ transplant list because they're medical marijuana patients. No. And just hearing that, um, every time I heard that, no, it set me on fire and it made me upset. It made me mad. But then I also see hope like a state like South Dakota, their Senate just sent a bill to their governor's desk, allowing patients, uh, you know, protecting their right to home cultivation. So now in South Dakota, they're, they're going to be able to have three mature and three immature plants. And I mean, that's what we're missing here in Florida. And we're missing a lot of these other vertically integrated states is the, the fact that patients don't have the right to grow it at home. Uh, Debbie, if, if California didn't have home grow rights, do you think that its industry would be what it is today? The Cal if California didn't have homegrown rights, everyone would be growing at home anyway. <laughs> We've been growing at home ever since they made it illegal. We still make no difference whatsoever. Um, the thing is, is that uh, what I find is that most people don't want to grow at home. They want to just go to a shop and pick it up and or have it home delivered. Um, but those that do, there's a couple things. They love the plant, right? It really is a helpful experience to get your hands in the dirt and to grow a plant, um, to care for it through its life cycle, and then to consume it and feel so great that that is what... I mean, isn't that what we're here on earth to do, you know, to thrive and to live and to grow and to experience. So, um, so I think that that is absolutely essential. And it is just crazy talk that we could go to a shop and buy a flower, but we can't grow it ourselves in our backyard. That just, that is so illogical and so, so crazy. So uh, that, that regulation has got to change everywhere. And, and just, and of course that's again, that's big retail that that's the mso's getting in there going like we need control of this plant we can't let people do it that's that's who drives that conversation um 
This has got to come out of the partisan realm. This is not a Republican versus Democrat issue. This is a human issue. And, and the Republicans just coming down so hardcore on partisan lines makes no sense whatsoever to me. So people who are out there and who are Republicans, you guys got to do your job. You got to go talk to your elected officials. You got to get on your local councils. You got to start putting the word out about this. It's not partisan. This is a people issue. And um, a voter, the voters want this. So as soon as we can get it out of partisan control, then we probably get this thing passed. Debbie, I just wanted to take a moment and thank you for being on the show today. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Um, your your experience in this industry and your knowledge about this industry can really benefit all of our listeners and, and really appreciate you. Um, where can people find you? How can they support you? Okay. I have my shop in Berkeley, High Fidelity, uh, HiFiGreen.com. You can check out our website. Um, I've got, uh, I'm a consultant with Green Rush Consulting and I help people all over the country. I've got clients in multiple states right now, helping small business people succeed in getting their cannabis licenses and starting their business. You know, there's a lot that it takes. So I love to have all of my mistakes and problems that hard, hard knocks turn into somebody else's. You don't have to make those mistakes. So I'm happy to help people. I'm on all the socials just with my full name at Debbie Goldsberry, so you can find me everywhere. And uh, I just really like to help other people get involved. I'm really trying to get to the core of the bottom of this, um, the fact that all of our businesses are going to big business. I think that's the big issue facing us right now is to make sure that we control the licenses and not big business because that is such a big fail. And uh, yeah, just happy to help other people. You guys have any last minute questions for Debbie here? Debbie, I was just looking at, uh, you know, High, High Fidelity's website, and I just think that uh, you all do a great job of, of making medicine affordable. I mean, I, I've seen uh, ACE, you know, in, in legal markets and illicit markets, and the fact that you all can produce a $25 ACE for patients or a $30 ACE, you know, on certain level shelves. I mean, you, yeah, you, you still have the highest t- uh, top shelf at 60 bucks, but I think it's great that you're able to provide people that affordable access to medicine. So kudos to you all for, for doing it for the patients. There is some incredible cannabis in California, you guys. You would not believe it. And yeah, the quality of the stuff that's affordable right now just completely blows me away as compared to, you know, five years ago. Um, The quality of cannabis has improved dramatically. I mean, we always had good cannabis, right? But it was fewer and far between. And now everyone is just growing such quality. I believe it, Debbie. Like you, you gotta. We we mentioned this earlier today, but like for for people in the legacy market here in Florida to say that they got good weed, they literally got to put a a California cannabis sticker on. (laughs) So I believe it. That shit's it's good weed. It was good weed when I was out there living out there, and it's it's probably even better now. That is funny. Yes, and that doesn't even involve the folks who. uh, desperately want to be legal, but they can't because of all the regulations. And so they end up going back to the legacy market and, and God bless mm-hmm. them because here we, we can pretty much figure out a lot of the black market stuff is bad. The, the, the uh, legal stuff is bad. And so we're not certain where to go. So we, we, we look forward to uh, improvements in the market. Maybe you can come over here and fix Florida. You did, you did a good job out West, but you know, they're afraid of people from out West over here. Because they know that they're coming over here with some knowledge, and we're 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 coming. You know, from, we still uh, have underground. We ahead. still have underground dispensaries here. We in Oakland, we we made a dual a dual system, the legal system and then the decriminalized system. So we still have decriminalized dispensaries that are operating under underground dispensaries. So, um, which is kind of interesting too. So if you can't get in the legal market, you can still continue in a decriminalized market in Oakland as a retailer. It's it's much that way in uh, in DC. Uh, you can go into a uh, decriminalized dispensary and buy stickers, and, and in exchange you can get cannabis as a gift. And it, it's an absurd system, <laughs> but it, it, it they make it work. But I mean, if Congress would just allow DC to implement its adult retail market, I mean, you literally have Congress holding up the District of Columbia uh, having the right to have a retail you know market as such. So. Right. It always looks like it's so close too. I hope, I hope next, next vote. I hope it happens. You know, we'll see. Yes, indeed. Well, well Deb, Debbie, we really appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, Gary, did you have anything for Debbie before we close out? 
Uh, I just wanted to let the folks again out there know that we did try this last session to try to put through things like uh, protection for patients, protection for employees. Uh, we tried to expand our uh, qualifying conditions. And all we were able to get through actually was an amendment that says that if a, a, a MMTC has a license for two years and they're not building up the scale yet, that they, get, that they don't get their license renewed. That's as good as we got. But uh, I think that'll, that'll be you know, something to build on for the next year. And hopefully we'll be able to, to change out our legislators over here and get some things done like California did, in a manner of speaking. Yes, indeed. And, you know, all hope isn't lost. You know, oftentimes when we have these shows, when we talk about very serious subjects, and as Carlos said, it can be really depressive, downing, even make you question why do you get up and fight every day. But there is hope. Uh, just this week, the NCAA uh, has announced it's relaxing its drug testing policies for cannabis, and they've uh, uh, changed it to be consistent with the World Anti-Doping Agency standards to where it's gone from 35 nanograms per milliliter in your blood to 150 nanograms per milliliter. So some of those athletes who might, you know, uh, smoke weed on a, on a, on a Saturday uh, after a football game, you know, uh, might be able to, you know, if they just do one or two joints, might be able to test negative by, by Friday before the next game so uh, there's always that that hope there but also uh, for those who don't know in regards to athletes and talking about uh, you know uh, cannabis Brittany Greiner who is uh, an all-pro WNBA center uh, for the Phoenix Mercury is currently been detained in Russia for almost a month now she was arrested with a CBD vape pen in her uh, or in her um, luggage and uh, yeah in Russia that carries up to a 10-year prison sentence uh, uh, so on top of the fact that she's also uh, a very outspoken LGBTQ advocate uh, in which you know Vladimir Putin uh, has uh, struck down that uh, she's in a lot of trouble right now without the US uh, having an active embassy in the middle of this war so I want folks to not forget about what Britney's going through right now and uh, and, and definitely uh, keep in mind, uh, you know, how, how this plays out in other countries, but also how things are playing out in our country. You know, we, uh, we oftentimes uh, take for granted how much progress has happened. But if you're looking at uh, the screen right now, you can see that, uh, you know, the cannabis laws by state, this map, Carlos, you remember the maps we used to see back in 2014. This map is totally different. For what, for what the maps are, you know, uh, five and six years ago. And so uh, there's still hope and there's still progress being made uh, state by state. Um, you know, you see the deep south starting to fall uh, in regards to medical. You see New England uh, definitely becoming around for the adult use and retail market. And now the Midwest is, uh, is starting to come around. So uh, I would not be surprised that in five years we see a lot more of this map uh, in the dark green. Yeah, I know what's up in get Idaho, it. man? Yeah, what's up with Idaho? What's up with Nebraska? It's spuds and corn. That's all that problem. It's all that yeah. problem. It's too many vegetarians out there. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck, Gary? So. Uh, Debbie, we got to have you back uh, probably later on in the day. <laughs> I would appreciate that. Yes, I'm around. We spirit. I mean, when I was, when you were out there trying to uh, solve the HIV problem with cannabis, I was working for the Centers for Disease Control over here on the East Coast, uh, pushing pushing AZT. And uh, wow. so, yeah, that was one of the, one of the great uh, displeasures of my life, you know, looking back as to what, what I was doing. But I was working for the government, and that is what we, we had hoped to accomplish. And uh, so. Yeah, those were the days, man, when Jim, uh, my bar business partner, passed away. It was the medicine. He just couldn't tolerate what they were giving him back then. So he had to go off of it, and that killed him. So, oh, man, those were sad, sad days. So, yep, here we are in another pandemic, you know, but we're making it through as a society. And, you know, thank God weed's legal, or else we probably would have all gone crazy sitting at home for two years. Well, Debbie, we'd like to give you the last word. Uh, what, what, uh, what parting words of advice or hope would you like to give to our listeners? Have fun, enjoy life. That's the main thing. We're, we're here not to work. We're not, we're, we are not our work. We're not our work product. We are ourselves, and we should, we should enjoy ourselves and have a good time and help other people. And cannabis is a part of that. It goes into our nature. Um, and uh, helps us uh, explore more of who we are as people. And, and when we go out into the world, we're, we're creative, uh, kinder, nicer, and um, 
and we have a good time. So yeah, let's just keep doing that. Thank you so much, Debbie. We really appreciate you joining us. Look, everyone, uh, if you want to continue to uh, get this amazing education and, and have us, our amazing guests on each and every Sunday, we need you to become a member of Suncoast Normal to continue our efforts uh, for advocacy and education. Uh, you can join us by going to our website, suncoastnormal.org, and become a member today. Again, uh, Gary, Carlos, I, we do not take money to do this job. Uh, we have been volunteering and building this uh, from scratch since 2014 to make sure that we have a patient centric system here in the state of Florida and that, uh, you know, as we uh, strike down uh, prohibition across the country, that patients are the ones who are at the focus and center of all this, uh, just like the great work that Debbie has done for patients for, for so many decades in California. And furthermore, we are looking to uh, bring awareness uh, to bring together the cannabis community here in Florida uh, by putting on a Cannabis Business Expo April 23rd uh, here in Tampa. If you're looking to get into the cannabis industry, if you're interested in, in trying to find a job, this would be a great place for you to come. Uh, for those of you who have a business, if you're looking, if you're hiring, you don't even necessarily have to be a cannabis business, but if you want to be a part of this Tampa Bay Business Expo, uh, hit us up, let us know, uh, email us at info at suncoastnormal.org or visit our website, suncoastnormal.org, for more information on how you can become a vendor, how you can get your business showcased, and uh, be able to interview uh, potential uh, new employees at the Tampa Bay Cannabis Expo on April 23rd. And with that, team, we will catch you next week in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member, because that is how you become part of the change. You can find The Rotation podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. But you can always join us in the rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National, all by joining Suncoast Normal. That website again is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Uh, find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary, and good night. Good night.